that's really the uh, the question, the quest here, and uh, God allows Satan to take everything away from Job, including his health, to try to see, is there anybody who would serve God for God and not just serve God for what he could selfishly get out of it? And it was a horrible situation for Job. Of course, he had no idea this was a test. So he, in chapter 3, just breaks out in a cry of pain and anguish and basically asks for his life support to be switched off so that he can die. He does not want to, uh, he does not want to live in this horrible situation. Well, that leads to his friends beginning to speak. They've been sitting there for a week in silence. And so in chapter 4, Eliphaz wants to speak with Job and he basically says, Job, I mean, you've always been there to help everybody else, but, you know, then it, then it happened to you, and, well, you're kind of getting upset about it. You know, acting like Job had sort of broken down at the first sign of trouble, um, which I think surely was not the case when you consider what all happened to him. But Eliphaz says, no innocent man perishes. You know, so, you know, if you're innocent, you'll be fine. Um... But, but in a way, nobody's innocent. He says, you know, he has this great build-up to, you know, this, this vision, this experience that he had that finally said, well, men are sinful. And, uh, you know, maybe that'll make it easier for Job to kind of confess his sins and repent so that God will bless him again. And in chapter 5, we looked at the first seven verses and uh, look especially at verses 6 and 7. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. For man is born for trouble as sparks fly upward. He says trouble doesn't just happen. You know, you don't just suffer for no reason. I mean, you know why people suffer, don't you? They bring it on themselves. So that, that's what the issue is. And so, you know, while Job is a good man and all that... Still and all, I mean, when he's suffering, well, we know he did something. And, you know, Eliphaz really wants to help him, you know. And so he's going to tell Job what he would do if he is in jo was in Job's place. All right. Uh, that's where we were. Any questions or comments through verse uh, 7 of chapter 5? All right, verses 8 to 16. But as for me, I would seek God, and I would place my cause before God, who does great and unsearchable things, wonders without number. He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields, so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the plotting of the shrewd, so that their hands cannot attain success. He captures the wise by their own shrewdness, and the advice of the cunning is quickly thwarted. By day they meet with darkness and grope at noon as in the night. But he saves from the sword of their mouth and the, and the poor from the hand of the mighty. So the helpless has hope and unrighteousness must shut its mouth. So, but as for me, I would seek God. I mean, that's what I do, Job. And, of course, he's suggesting that because he wants Job to do the same thing. You know, I, I would place my cause before God. You know, that, that's the best thing you can do in this situation. Just you just need to turn to God. And he describes God. 
Now look at some of the things he says about God. Um, he says he does great and unsearchable things, and he starts giving examples. Like in verse 10, he brings the rain. What kind of things does he do in verse 11? Exalts the humble. Yes. He takes those who are lowly and mourning and lifts them up. Uh, he, he basically does the same thing in verses 15 and 16 as well. But in 12 to 14, what does he do? He brings the proud down. Yes. So God is the God that reverses people's situations. You know, he lifts up the humble, he brings down the, the powerful and the mighty and uh, the wicked. Um, this contains the only quotation from the book of Job in the New Testament. Verse 13 is quoted by uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, and it's in the context where Paul is dealing with worldly wisdom. And uh, he says in verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 3, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God, for it is written, He is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise that they are, full of, uh, that they are uh, useless. So, this idea of capturing the wise in their craftiness is, uh, he's quoting from uh, 5.13. Um, and so, what Eliphaz says right there is true. In fact, much of what Eliphaz says is true. He's got the right principle. Does God bring down, you know, arrogant, crafty men? Well, yes. Does God lift, lift up humble men? Yes. Uh, the only thing is that he's making the wrong application to try to apply this to Job right here. Job is not an example of a wicked man being brought down like Eliphaz thought. But he, he gave some good statements of what God does. I would suggest for Samuel 2 and Hannah's prayer says very much the same thing. Um, so God will reverse people's fortunes. So he says, I turn to God... And here's the kind of God he is. Comments or thoughts through verse 16. You would think he would have written this at the end of the book. Because God does that to him and to Job. <laughs> yes. He, he's all You're exactly right. lofty and God brings him down. And then by the end, Job is exalted. So. Yes. Yeah, he, it, it, uh, that principle had a little different application than <laughs> yeah. what he would have uh, anticipated. <laughs> sometimes you can have the right doctrine but apply it in the wrong case. You know, I mean, their basic principle. Is it true that sin sometimes brings bad consequences? Yes, absolutely. So can you say if there's a bad consequence that must be punishment for sin? No, no you cannot do that. Uh, so there's, there's, they have some principles that are okay, but they're misapplying. Can you explain verse 15? Well, I can try. Um, I think he's saying um, that he is saving the poor and the helpless from the words and the deeds of the wicked. You know, God, it, it looks like there's a word missing. I mean, <laughs> I'm like stumbling over it when I read it. So, 
but he saves from the sword of their mouth. It doesn't say who he's saving there. That's right, but okay. I'd go back up to like verse 11. Okay. And the poor from the hand of the mighty. The second part makes sense, and the first part, the missing object got He doesn't really say who it is, but in the context, it would be <laughs> deserving people. Okay. The ESV puts the, uh, the noun in there. Okay. He saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. Oh, he, they just switch it so it's in the first right, part of the verse. Right, okay. so it makes it clearer. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, 17 to 27. Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, for he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds, and his hand also heals. From six troubles he will deliver you. Even in seven, even in seven, evil will not, what? <laughs> even in seven, evil will not touch you. In famine he will redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, neither will you be afraid of violence when it comes. You will laugh at violence and famine, neither will you be afraid of wild beasts. For you will be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field will be at peace with you, and you will know that your tent is secure. For you will visit your abode and fear no loss. And you will know also that your descendants will be many, and your offspring as the grass of the earth. And you will come to the grave in full vigor, like the stacking of grain in its season. Behold this, we have investigated it, thus it is. Hear it, and know for yourself. So, he's presenting God as the one who does what? Disciplines. Yes. God disciplines, God chastens, God reproves. Um, and of course the idea of discipline is something that's painful, but it's designed to lead the person to change so that he can be blessed. You know, discipline is not final punishment. It's just kind of the pain you need to do things right. So. He's assuming that this discipline will have its proper effect on Job. Job will straighten up, listening to the pain, and everything will be great for him from here on out. Because God doesn't just inflict the pain, he also gives the relief. He doesn't just wound, he also heals. You know, God's discipline is loving. So, if God has disciplined you, Job, just get the lesson change what you need to change, and God will then heal you. That's all he's trying to do with that. So he's trying to give Job hope and, and get Job to see the, the, the moral he needs to get out of this. Um, and again, does God ever discipline? Yeah, he does. But that's not what this suffering is. Um, you know, so he's got a good principle, but he's misapplying it. Um, and, and he just goes through and talks about all the great blessings Job will get once he has allowed himself to receive the discipline. And uh, it'll deliver you from six troubles or even seven, you know, in famine and war, you know, slander, violence, wild beasts, you know, and all these things. God will take care of all those, you know, if you will just, uh, you know, repent. Now, uh, it's interesting, the word used for God in verse 17, almighty, 
That is used 31 times in Job, 17 times in the whole rest of the Old Testament put together. Because that's their view of God. God is the Almighty. That's the, the aspect of God's nature that is really focused on. You know, he's powerful. They all agree to that. Uh, he does these uh, amazing things. So, you know, what are you thinking about what Eliphaz is saying? I'm wondering, in verse 27, he says, we've investigated it. Who, who might he be thinking of? The we? Yeah, I mean, well, no. Who, uh, who has, I mean, to investigate something, you have to see cases like this or something like this going on. Uh, uh, what, what might he be thinking of there? Or who would be an example to him like Job or that was going through this kind of a problem? You see what I'm asking? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he has specific cases in mind. <laughs> but whatever he says is the way it is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if he, you know, I mean, I think he's sort of gotten carried away with how uh, well he's diagnosed the problem and, uh, you know, given the solution. And, uh, you know, it's just, well, I mean, hey, I, I know this. I mean, this is probably off the wall, but... But it reminds me of, um, I may have said this, but a couple or three weeks ago, I was out with uh, Jacob Whitaker knocking on doors and ran across this guy. And he said, yeah, he'd read the Bible two or three times, you know, through. But he was now reading a book that was really, really interesting, really helpful. And so he went and get it. He was probably older than me. And he went in and got it and brought it out. And he said, yeah, he's learned so much. You know, he learned about uh, Anna, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus' mother. And how Anna bore Mary the same way Mary bore Jesus. It was a virgin birth. And Anna was married to this uh, man who was big in uh, mining and metals, I think. Uh, lived in England, very wealthy. And uh, Jesus actually went to visit her in England while he was young. And, you know, Jesus had a twin brother, Judas Thomas, I think was his name. And you know, he just will go, and I'm like, well, uh, where did you get all this? Oh, well, yeah, he said, it's, it's true. I said, well, it's not in the Bible. He said, well, the Bible changes every 20 years or so. It's changing all the time. I said, well, how do you know this stuff is true? Oh, oh yeah, I've, I've, I've checked it out. It's true. <laughs> like, uh, what evidence is there? No, it, it's, it's true. It is. It's like, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's kind of the way these guys are. I mean, they, you know, if they have affirmed it, then that's the way it is. You know, aren't we all a little bit that way? I mean, I wonder if we sometimes aren't awfully quick to just assume if we think it, it's true. You know, I mean, if somebody really pressed us for the evidence, well, we might be a little hard-pressed to come up with that, but, but we're sure it's true. We verified by they. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. They say it. They say it. Yeah, yeah they, they all say it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he is very confident. And, I mean, of course... We see behind the scenes, so we know that he's wrong in his application. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have a way to know that. 
You know, I mean, he's supposed to be a wise man. I mean, you can tell these guys aren't stupid. Yeah. You know, they speak very well. Um, but we can sometimes think we know everything. Sometimes we're like that when it comes to people's problems. Well, here's what you need to do. You know, somebody tells you about three sentences about their problem. And you've already got it diagnosed. Well, hey, I don't need to hear any more. Here, here's the thing. Isn't that kind of the way we are sometimes? I mean, even a physical problem. Somebody tells you, you know, two or three details. Oh, I know what it is. You know, this is this is what it is. Well, how do you know? Well, I just do. You know, it's just the way it is. Or some other situation. We're just so quick to give the definitive answer, sometimes before we even know the situation, and a lot of times before we really know what the right answer is. So I think Eliphaz, I see a lot of Eliphaz in me. It, it would be easy though, I mean, if you're not examining something, just to, just to, and, and I'm thinking about these others that are listening, to just accept what he says without examining. He sounds pretty good. Yeah, it sounds good. It's right down the line. He's very reverent toward God. You know, he's got the God-centered answers for everything. You know, I mean, you know, he made a good speech. It just wasn't very helpful. You know, for one thing, it was one-sided. You know, sometimes we're like that. We can give one side of a question, but not give it all. You know, so you look at one angle of what the Bible says, but that doesn't necessarily apply in every situation. There's more to it than just the side he's looking at. And it, it, it's almost like he's preaching a sermon. Yeah. You know, he doesn't seem very much like a friend. He seems almost like a lecturer. What, and he's starting out with an assumption that is not true. Yeah. He, he, he is assuming that Job has done something wrong that God's punishing him for. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he probably just, you know, wouldn't have even thought of that as being an assumption. No. That, that's just the way it is. Yeah. I mean, if you're suffering, well, what did you do? I mean, we could get to be like that with a lot of things. I mean, I was talking with somebody, I was studying with somebody this morning online, and uh, we were talking about uh, just the idea of, you know, we were talk actually, we were talking about Manasseh, you know, who was a terrible king, except for his repentance right at the end. But he was terrible, terrible. But his father was Hezekiah, who was one of the better kings Judah ever had. And, you know, it's like I pointed out, well, you know, uh, you, I mean, there's free, you got free will, even if you're raised by a good father. You know, he said, well, he wondered if maybe Hezekiah hadn't been very involved with raising him, and so forth and so on. Well, I don't know. But the truth is, you know, what we often do if we see somebody doing badly, wonder what their parents did wrong. You know, we, we do, we'll do all kinds of things like that, just jumping to the conclusion without really knowing, I mean, the child who did wrong there, you know, or the, the adult or whatever, whoever they are. So I, I think it's easy for us to jump to a conclusion or assume a premise that we don't even know if it's true. Proverbs eighteen thirteen. He who gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame to him. Yeah, that's what he's doing. 
Yeah, that's exactly right. And he's kind of like, Job, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. You know, and, and he's, I mean, I think he ought to have a little bit of compassion for what Job's already been through. But it's, it's like, I think Job's situation bothers them a little bit. And I don't think they want to be bothered by it. So they're like trying to say, oh, it'll be okay. Everything will be fine. Because really, Job is kind of disconcerting. He really hadn't done anything wrong they could ever really notice. And you know, look at how horribly he's suffering. And he's lashing out. And I think they're just really tense about this. And so it's going to be okay, Job. Come on, just, just, just you know, give, give in, repent, and God will take care of you. Buck up, little camper. It'll be all right. Yeah, exactly. What'd you say? Buck up, little camper. It'll yeah. be all right. Yeah. yeah. It's almost insulting, though, in a way, starting at 17 now. Happy is the man whom God reproves. <laughs> Come on, Job. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Cheer up. <laughs> be happy. Yes. And then he goes through listing all these blessings on all the offspring and the descendants yes. and, uh, did, are you missing did you miss something there uh, this isn't quite as comforting as uh, he might have assumed is it <laughs> you will come to the grave in full vigor I don't think he's got a whole lot of vigor right now yeah he doesn't have any offspring as the grass of the earth because they're like under grass <laughs> six feet under yeah oh dear does Job like I'm surprised he doesn't beat him up after this teacher <laughs> <laughs> oh, they get a lot worse. <laughs> this was the good one. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yes. And, and yeah. Job does kind of beat him up a little bit. Yeah, well, and, uh, they will have some words uh, various times, but you ought to get a load of Eliphaz's last speech. This one was very nice. Oh, no. Oh, it was, yes. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the nicest one of all. Cameron. How many times do you say almighty, the word almighty was used? 31. I didn't count them, but somebody told me. That. <laughs> That's what they said. That's what they <laughs> said. And so if I'm wrong, it's their mistake. <laughs> but they'll back me up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is, I mean, this, this section here, all of these good things that will happen or that you're supposed to feel... You know, if you're secure, it, it's it's that whole health and wealth kind of thing again. If if ever if you're doing the right thing, you're not gonna have to worry about the scourge of the tongue. You're not gonna have to be afraid if violence comes your way, and oh, it won't happen anyways. And you know, everything's gonna go your way. Just kind of strange. It seems like he's saying, too, that, well, God's disciplined you for something, but now it's all okay because it's over with. The punishment's <clears throat> over. He hasn't gotten into a lot of the way well, you need to straighten it out or repent or anything like that. But Well, maybe a little bit, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty, something like that. So respect the discipline, uh, whatever it takes to do that. But you're right. He is more saying things will be fine, then he's really calling Job to repentance or something like that. Well, Job's answer, 1 to 7. Then Job answered, Oh, that my grief were actually 